The scripture reading this morning is from Ecclesiastes. Today we're starting a new series of sermons on the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're looking at the theme of finding meaning in a frantic world. And today we're looking at Ecclesiastes 1, the first 11 verses, 1 to 11. So this is the reading of God's word. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, says says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits... The wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It's been done already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Amen. That's a reading of God's word. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. We come to you because we need you so desperately. We need your wisdom, but more so we need your your to be rescued, and we need to see your son, Jesus. So this morning, as we hear some bad news and some good news, prepare us to hear your words, and may it be a balm to our our soul. May it be encouragement that heals our weariness. May it be peace to our chaos. May it lead us to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Years ago, there was a sociologist, his name is Jonathan Kozel, doing research in the South Bronx during the height of the crack epidemic. And he was specifically in this one area that was being run over by drugs, by poverty, by crime. And he was interviewing an older Christian woman, did a series of interviews with her. And after each interview, uh, he realized she was getting weaker. Uh, she was aging. The last time he visited her, she had her Bible opened up on her bed, and it was flipped open to the book of Ecclesiastes. This woman said to him, if you want to know what's happening these days, it's all right here. This woman, Miss Washington, she read the book of Ecclesiastes, and she said, man, this is, this is the reason. This explains all of this madness. It's happening all around us. Herman Melville called the book of Ecclesiastes the truest of all books, the truest of all books. Today, we're going to look at this book, Ecclesiastes, and we're going to see that it explains this chaotic world that we are living in, explains all the madness. And it's a book about not just the brokenness of life, but why it's so empty. The book of Ecclesiastes is an exploration of the futility of work, the difficulty of social injustice, 
the fleeting nature of pleasure. And it's an exploration of all of that. And it's meant to, to show us why these things are so empty, but also lead us to an ultimate hope. Today we're going to be looking at that. Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book, and it's ancient wisdom that we need so much today. It's got timeless truths to lead us in times of confusion. So this, this morning we're going to embark on this journey of Ecclesiastes, an exploration of life. Today we're going to look at the main thesis, the main theme of Ecclesiastes, and we're just going to look at a couple points. The first thing is we're going to explore the meaninglessness of life under the sun, and secondly, the meaning of life in the sun, S-O-N. We're going to be looking at these two things. The main point of Ecclesiastes is first, how everything is meaningless. The meaningless of life under the sun. Uh, Ecclesiastes, as I said before, is a wisdom book. It's The wisdom books are right in the middle of the Bible, includes the Psalms, the Proverbs, Song of Songs. It's an, wisdom is an important theme in the Old Testament. At, in the beginning of Proverbs, Solomon, considered the wisest of all men, says that wisdom is the key to life. It's one of the keys to life. People can ruin their life because of because of a lack of wisdom. We need if you don't have wisdom, you're going to make terrible choices with your money, who you marry, who your friends are, how you spend your time. We need wisdom to make the right choices at the right time. Wisdom is not just about knowledge, information is not just information, but it's about how to apply that information and make the right choices at the right time. Wisdom is a key to life. But the wisdom books are interesting because it's not just about knowledge. It's not just about good, and it's not just about the law. The book of wisdom is interesting because it is an exploration. The book of wisdom, the wisdom literature tells us that in order to live wisely, you just you, you can't just know about God in the right way. You also have to explore the other side. You have to explore the other side of life. You have to explore not just the goodness, but the evil. You have to explore not just good times, but suffering. You have to explore all of life. That's why in the book of Proverbs, one of the key figures is a father discipling his son, showing him wisdom. And how does he do that? Well, this father takes his son to the marketplace to see corruption and injustice. He takes him to the red light district to see prostitutes in action. He takes him to the back alleys to see a street fight. And this father wants doesn't want to shield his son from all of this, but he wants to walk with him through all of life and to show the results of that kind of living. He says, son, look what happens to this man, this woman, and what the outcome of their way of life. That's the way we get wisdom. We get wisdom by exploring everything in life and seeing the outcome of it. The book of Ecclesiastes follows that methodology of finding wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes is about exploring life under the sun. In verse 3, there's that phrase, and it's repeated all throughout Ecclesiastes. And that phrase is under the sun. It's a key phrase. That phrase, under the sun, means life without God. It's that idea of life without meaning, without that ultimate meaning, 
It includes all of the experiences of life, which include hard work, sex, disappointment, injustice, and death. Most of Ecclesiastes is exploring this life if this is all that we have. If it's all that we have. The idea of Ecclesiastes is before you enjoy God, you need to experience life without God. Ecclesiastes shows us what we're not missing, explains why things are so broken. The opening of Ecclesiastes gives us the main thing. This is what Ecclesiastes 1, 1 to 2 says. Words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Ecclesiastes is written by this figure. The ESV calls this figure the preacher. And that's the Hebrew word kohelet. And that word literally means the gatherer. It didn't necessarily have spiritual overtones. This was someone who collected information and gave it to the public. That's why I think a more appropriate translation is the professor. This is someone who is giving public education. He's gathering the facts and gathering people, and he's teaching. The professor here in the first chapter lays out his big point. He's going to make it again and again. And that big point is, he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That word vanity is a Hebrew word called hebel. It's used 38 times all throughout this one book. And it can be translated meaningless, useless, absurd, futile. I like the word empty as a translation of hebel. Professor, the professor is saying everything in life is hebel. It's empty. It's hollow. It's like when you scroll through social media for an hour. Scroll through Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Imagine if you did that for an hour. How do you feel after that hour? You know, social media has these algorithms that are designed to keep you engaged. They want to keep you clicking, keep you scrolling. The purpose of social media is social media. And so after an hour of that, most likely you're going to feel, if you're not angry, you feel empty. There's a hollowness to that. What did I just do? It's like fast food. Fast food is calories. It feels good when you eat it, but they are empty calories. You feel probably awful after you eat it. Those are empty calories. And what the professor is saying is that all of life is empty. Not just those things, but everything in life has an emptiness to it. It's calories. It is something, but it's hollow. What does it mean? It's a big thesis. How does he prove it? Well, the professor says, let me let me prove my point. Let me tell you about it. In verse 3 and 4, he says, What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The professor looks at a man doing back-breaking labor in the sun, wakes up early, goes to work, Laboring under the sun, under the heat. Goes home, has a meal. Sun goes out, sun goes up. He's, he's back at it. And he says, what's the point of all that? He uses the word gain. That's an economic term. And he's basically saying, well, what's the bottom line? What does he get from all of that work? What's in it? The professor is using the, the, uh, 
He's using the principles of life in this world. We often say, what's in it for me? What am I getting, what, what am I getting out of it? So he uses that. He says, well, you wake up, you go to sleep, you do the same thing every day. Well, what's in it for you? What do you gain by that? In verse four, he says, a generation comes and a generation goes. He says that we live, we're going to die. Another generation is going to replace us and no one will remember us. In verse five to seven, he talks about the circularity of everything. He says in this world, the sun goes up, sun goes down. The wind blows, seasons change, the streams go down into the sea, and it's a regular pattern. It's a circular pattern. The earth spins on its axis, revolves around the sun 24 hours, 365, and it starts all over again. He says, what's the point? If you spin around one time or if you spin around 100 times, it's all the same. Because you end up right back where you started. So what's the point of it? What's the point of going around in circles? The professor says, not only is this world like that, even our culture is like that. Our experiences are like that. Verse 9, he says, what has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. Is There's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It's been there already in the ages before us. Professor says there's nothing new under the sun. Under the sun, we're doing the same things again and again. Think about the cyclical nature of fashion. Something's in fashion. It goes out of fashion, but it's circular. It's going to come back in fashion. My son, he's nine years old. He was looking at a picture of me when I was his age. He was looking at a picture very carefully. And he said, Dad, you're wearing Air Jordan 4s. He's like, I want those. And I was like, um, so I did not save those shoes. I wish I did. I, I should have known. I would never have known 35 years later the shoes that I was wearing then are back in style. You know, when I was his age, I was thinking, man, I want the Air Jordan 5s and 6s and 7s. I would have never have thought it would come all the way back. But that's the nature of fashion. Something's in style. It's, it's going to come back. It's circular. Think about people who love vintage clothing. Retro video games, throwbacks. We're not looking forward. We're actually looking back all the time. We're not making progress. We're obsessed with things in the past. Not a lot of people are loving things in the future and want to see. We we are saying, man, back in the day, that was the time. I want to go back, especially right now, 2020. We're thinking back in time. It was so much better. The professor says it's always like that. We're going in circles. One of the great problems today is the problem of racism. Uh, but is this a new problem or is this an old problem? It's a new problem. Are we actually making progress on this? Have we actually made substantial progress on it since the civil rights movement? Or is it something that's perpetual? More broadly speaking, injustice and slavery have been with us since the beginning of humanity. And the question is, with all of our technology and all of our information, are we actually, have we made progress? You know, the things in Proverbs about injustice, it's the same things happening right now. It's the same things. 
thousands of years later, we haven't made a lot of progress on injustice. We haven't. What are we doing? We're going in circles. We're going, we're not making progress. We're right back where we started. And the, 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 the implication of that is this. If you understand that, verse eight, if you understand that we're just going around in circles, this is what the professor says. All things are full of weariness. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. If you understand that there's a sense of weariness, man, I'm right back where, where I started. What's the point of all of this? There's a weariness in our soul, a weariness in our, in our country. So many of us are tired. Professor talks about the emptiness of life under the sun. Professor is going to take us through things that are pleasurable, uh, work that is going well, pleasure, sex, entertainment. And he says, even when things are going well and you experience the best things in life, he's going to show us it's never enough. No matter what kind of success or money or pleasure you have, you're always going to be looking for the next thing. What's next? I need more. He says, we're never satisfied. It's never enough. No matter how much you have, it's never enough. And ultimately, in verse 11, there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Preston says, even if you live a good life, it doesn't matter. If you live a good or bad life, if you live a long life or a short life, he says, at the end of the day, none of that matters because you're going to die. And you're going to be replaced by another generation. And that another generation is not going to remember you. They're not going to care about what you did. They're not going to know your life story, whether it was good or bad, it was pleasurable or miserable. You lived a long life or a short life. They're not going to know. 200 years from now, no one will know your name. They won't remember you. So the professor said, well, what's the point of all that? He takes us through this whole life experience, the lack of progress, the circularity. And he says, what's the point? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And he says, if Jesus did not rise again, and he quotes a Greek poem, let us eat and sleep because tomorrow we die. You know, if there's no great hope, let's just live it up because tomorrow we might as well die if, we, if we're if we not going to die. It doesn't matter. If you feel depressed by the things I just said, well, that's the... That means Ecclesi- you're getting Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes first wants to make us sad by helping us to see the world as it is. But it makes us sad so that we'll start looking for something more. Book of Ecclesiastes leads you to the place where you're like, there has to be something else. I tried everything. I need something more. It has to be more. And that's the deep echo in all of our hearts. There has to be more to life than this. What is it? And when this is the second and last point, Ecclesiastes leads us to the hope of life in the sun, S-O-N, in the sun. The professor shows us the futility of life under the sun. It's, it's brutal. It's hopeless. It's circular. There's no progress. 
Only when we understand our own poverty will we seek the riches of God. Only when we come to the end of ourselves can we seek after only what God can give. Most of the Bible is not written from the perspective of under the sun, but in the heavenly realms. That's what the Bible ultimately is about. If the world is all we have, our knowledge is limited. We can only see what's in front of us, what we've experienced. But we can't see what is above us, beyond us. That's why we need the the scriptures to shine a light on us. Ecclesiastes 1, the professor saw the world and he shows us that the world is, it's, it, it's futile, circular, but the world also gives us clues to something else. In Psalm 19, 1, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaim his handiwork. No one ever get discouraged and disappointed with life. I often go to the beach, get a chair, sit out there, listen to the waves crashing, See the sea, see the Pacific Ocean, see the mountains. And there's something larger than life. I lose myself in the immensity of the ocean, the mountains. And I realize that there's something more. There's something beautiful, something transcendent. The skies proclaim, it's a billboard that says there is a great God. There's something more that's greater than you. The earth, the mountains, the forest, the beach, it all speaks, it preaches at you, tells you there is something more. We talked about the circularity of time. It's, uh, it's everything is the same all the time. Well, in the Bible, there, there is a way out of that circularity and you, and it, we find that breakthrough in the eternal God. You know, God is eternal. Um, which means that God operates outside of time. God lives past, present, and future. There's no circularity with God. Time is actually something God created. It's a created thing. God exists outside of time. He's also eternal. He's timeless. He's infinite. He's beyond us. And one of the problems is how can finite man who operate in time and space, how can they know the eternal God? That would seem impossible to know. And here's a dramatic thing that God does. In John 1, 14, it says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the one and only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. The only way we can know God is God came down to us. He entered into time. The timeless God entered into time and space. Jesus took on flesh so that we could see him. People can experience the infinite became finite. The timeless stepped into time. And in Jesus, we could see the glory of God. He's full of grace and truth. Jesus has come. What what was his mission? Jesus has come to heal this fractured and broken world. Jesus is the great healer. He has come to restitch this fractured humanity. He's come to make enemies into friends. Paul Miller, he was talking about the inner circle of Jesus. And he says, in the inner circle, 12, he had 12 disciples. The inner circle of Jesus, there was both a zealot. A zealot was a nationalist. And he wanted to overthrow the Roman government. He was so 
pro-nation. He wanted to overthrow the Roman government. But also in Jesus' inner 12 was a tax collector. This was someone who worked for the Roman government. These two people were total enemies. They would have hated each other. Paul Miller said it's like Jesus had in his inner circle of 12, someone wearing a MAGA hat, Make America Great Again hat, and another guy wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. He had these two poles, these opposite, these people who would be at each other's throat. He had those in his tribe. What is he doing? He's, he's leading them out of their tribe into something great, the kingdom of God. He wanted them to be lost in something greater. And he's restitching a fractured humanity. Ultimately, the mission of Jesus was to serve and to rescue, to take our debt and to defeat sin and death. You know, on the cross, this is one of the things Jesus said in Matthew 27. Jesus, God stepped into time ultimately to take all of that darkness. In in Matthew 27, it says, after the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, on the cross, we talked about meaninglessness and the hebel, the emptiness, the hollowness. On the cross, Jesus took all of the darkness and emptiness on himself. Ultimately, the true sense of darkness and meaninglessness is life without God. That's true darkness. Jesus took that on himself. You know, hell is ultimately not so much fire and brimstone, but it's life without God. Hell is a giant cul-de-sac. We're just going around in circles, doing the same thing over and over again. There's no meaning to it. You're living, but it's not a life worth living because it's life without God. It's life without purpose. It's life without a destination. And on the cross, Jesus experienced that life without God as Father. He took that meaninglessness that darkness why to set us free so that we don't have to live that life of circularity he wants to break us out of that he wants to give us new life he ultimately conquered sin and death everyone lives and then they die that's it but jesus died and then he lived he broke out of that circle he broke out of living and dying doing the same thing again and again, and he broke through it to give us life, to give us now a destination, to give us a hope so that life is now more meaningful. Time is now measured by Jesus. You know, at the time that Jesus lived, people thought, ancients thought, time was actually circular. Everything was circular. That was a dominant worldview was life was circular. But after Jesus lived, you know what happened? Well, now we measure time by Jesus' birth. It's roughly 2,020 years since he lived. And now our hope is the future. God's going to come again. Jesus is going to come again in glory. Now our life is a story. It's a journey. There's a destination. It's not the same thing and again and again. We await the coming of our king. And now we have hope. Now we expect his return. Now we measure time by Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. It's not a circle. It's linear. Time is now linear. And ever since Jesus lived, the dominant worldview began to shift from circular to linear. Things are headed somewhere now. 
Let me close out this sermon with a few applications. As we close some concluding thoughts. Are you living a meaningful life? Is your life the same thing every day? Nothing changes. Do you have a hope? Well, this morning, Jesus welcomes you in to a new story. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus says, I can recreate. I can make you new again. I can break you out of the same story, the same cycle. I can give you a new life. Would you see Jesus on the cross dying for you, forgiving you, healing you? Would you see him in glory, giving you a hope? And would you place your trust in Jesus? The gospel is not achieved. It's simply received. Receive the gift. Secondly, if you are a believer, are you living with that purpose that Jesus had? Because we have Jesus, and specifically because he's given us his spirit, real change is possible. Every day doesn't need to be the same day. You don't have to live like you used to live. You have the spirit inside of you. Because of the spirit, now real change, real injustices, we can live life of justice. We could have peace. We could pursue that. Maybe it's not going to change the world, but we could be changed. Our church can be changed. Our communities can change. Progress is possible. And if we have the spirit, it is inevitable, actually. Because of Jesus, work can be meaningful. Everything you do on this earth will one day echo in eternity. Uh, God is this great creator. He's brilliant. He created all things. We're called to echo God and his creativity. I encourage you to use this pandemic. Instead of seeing it as limitations, use it as a time to explore new possibilities. Think creatively. Think outside the box. You have his spirit within you to try new things. To experience, to seek real change. Every day doesn't have to be the same day. We have the spirit inside of us. Finally, live with hope. I love Lamentations uh, 3, 22 to 23. And this is what it says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentation says that At the start of every day, God's mercies are new. We don't have to look back at our past. We don't have to live in regret. God gives us new grace every day, regardless of how you lived yesterday, regardless of what yesterday was about. You don't have to repeat that. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning is new. Every morning is a new start. He gives you new mercies. He gives you his Holy Spirit. Receive that. Live in that newness and live with hope. Jesus will come one day. Your king will come. Your life is a journey, a story that will come to glorious conclusion when he comes again. Live with that. Stop looking back. Stop looking with regret. Start looking forward. You know, it's easy this day because we're tempted, especially as the elections come near and the chaos increases. It's easy to have a worldview that's life under the sun. This is all it is. It's a, it's a circle. Nothing changes. We're angry. We're bitter. But this morning, instead of living just life under the sun, I encourage you 
especially in these next couple weeks. Live life knowing that there is meaning in the sun. Remember your true identity. Remember your destination. Live with that kind of hope. Remember who you are and where you're going. Live in the power of the spirit and the power of the gospel as we remember the true meaning of our lives in our King. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning. We come to you as people who often live not just in the world, but we, we live, we are often tempted to be of the world. We are often tempted to live in conformity to the patterns of this world. And we realize when we do that, it can be so discouraging and disheartening. And our heart has been broken a thousand times. And this morning, help us to come to an end of ourselves, to, to stop trusting in these things that ultimately disappoint us. Lead us, God, to yourself this season. Lead us to seek your face. Lead us to have a wider view and to be lost in kingdom pursuits. Fill us with hope that you've given us your spirit. Fill us with creativity and help us to proclaim to the world your goodness, your grace, your magnificence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.